Thank you for listening to this new episode of the podcast, By the Still Water. These podcasts are intended to encourage your search for the God of heaven. We hope that you enjoy the thoughts here and that they provoke some further investigation. Again, thank you for listening. What are your landmarks? Many things were changed on September 11th, 2001, when the World Trade Center towers fell. Some were global, while others were small and personal. One of the thousands of interviews given after the event was a reporter talking to a seven-year-old boy that lived in New York. He was asked what he was feeling about the events. He told the reporter he felt lost. You see, the boy used the huge and unique towers as his landmark to know which way he was going as he moved around New York. He asked the reporter, How am I going to find my way home now? Whether we are conscious of it or not, we walk and drive using landmarks. They tell us how far we have progressed, when we need to turn, and when we have arrived. We all navigate using fixed objects that give us confidence that we are headed in the right direction. In an earlier podcast, we talked about one reason to believe in the Bible's uniqueness. Unlike any other religious document, the Bible's more than 40 authors span a time frame of about 1,500 years, but still are telling the same story. But even if the Bible is unique, another question needs to be asked. Is the Bible reliable? Before we can consider the harder questions about God, heaven, morality, or hope, and use the Bible as our guide, we need to have confidence in what is recorded there. And that is the right word, confidence. If we set out on a journey of hundreds of miles in an area we are not familiar, we would want a map that had accurate information. We would use the map to look for landmarks to know that we are headed in the right direction. And when we saw each landmark in sequence, our confidence in both the map and the journey would grow. And if there was a reason to question the map's information, we might hesitate or even abandon the journey altogether. So how can we establish any level of confidence in the Bible record? Actually, there are many places in the Bible story that we can find a landmark that helps us know that what we are reading is not a make-believe fairy tale. It records historical people and events that can be confirmed with outside facts or sources. Even the Smithsonian acknowledges that the Bible is an important source of real history. It is not as if the Bible takes place in some unknown land. Ancient Israel was in the midst of a region that was the location for great empires, huge battles, and other major events. We should expect that there are records, structures, and monuments that confirm the information contained in the Bible. Remember, what builds our confidence are landmarks along the way that confirm that what we are reading is truth. Here is one such landmark. There is an old saying about ancient history, kings talk about kings. What that means is that rulers of nations often were the ones that left inscriptions, statues, records, and monuments. And most of the time they were recording things about themselves. But when they did discuss other nations and other peoples, often the only person they called by name was the ruler of that other group 
Thus the saying, Kings talk about kings. Many times these inscriptions and monuments were made to tell the story of a great military victory over that other king. The Egyptian hieroglyphs record many tales of a pharaoh's victory over an enemy and how the defeated kings bowed down or were even killed by the victorious ruler. But these names that are recorded, both the victors and the defeated, give us points of connection. These intersections in history can confirm or discredit what the source claim about a person or an event. But it also can confirm or discredit the validity of the source themselves. In a museum in London is a clay cylinder called Sennacherib's Annals. These records are about 3,000 years old. They are recorded on three clay objects like cylinders except they have six flat sides. They are covered in the cuneiform writing used by a group called the Assyrian Empire. They are the records of a king by the name of Sennacherib. He was no minor hill king either. The Assyrian Empire existed for hundreds of years and ruled huge stretches of territory, including what would today be portions of Turkey, Iran, Iraq, Egypt, Israel, and parts of Greece. Sennacherib himself moved the capital of his empire to the city of Nineveh, expanding it until Nineveh became the largest city in the world at the time. Some credit the Assyrians for inventing the government systems, copied later by others such as the Greeks and the Romans. In these official records of Sennacherib's reign is a mention of a king in the city of Jerusalem, a man named Hezekiah. The account describes having the Hebrew king cornered, quote, like a bird in a cage inside Jerusalem. We can cross-reference those claims with the Bible account. There are great resources available to carefully examine the Bible, both written and digital. A simple search will show that a king in Jerusalem by the name of Ahaz died and his son Hezekiah became king in his place. The account of Hezekiah as recorded in the Bible is quite extensive, including his social reforms, his political failures, and issues with military threats. One of those military threats discussed is the threat made by the Assyrian king Sennacherib. So two records, independent of one another, confirm that these two men were real leaders and were contemporaries. The outcome of their conflict is interesting as well. The account found in the Bible is more extensive than the one found in the Assyrian archive. In the Bible account, Hezekiah makes a threat to break away from the Assyrian Empire, but changes his mind and decides to offer tribute to reestablish good relations. Hezekiah strips gold and other valuables from Jerusalem, including gold from the temple, and sends them to Sennacherib. But the Assyrians are not satisfied and attack Jerusalem. God intervenes, and Sennacherib does not defeat the city of Jerusalem, and Hezekiah remains king there. The records of the Assyrian king mentions tribute as well. But the other interesting thing about the Sennacherib annals is that it never says that this powerful king of the Assyrian empire ever captured Jerusalem or defeated Hezekiah. That is worth mentioning for two reasons. First, records such as Sennacherib's annals were about boasting. Kings bragged of their great victories. Second, 
no one had defeated or stood against the army of the Assyrians. No one. They were one of the first professional armies in history and were very successful. They had defeated, then destroyed the northern Hebrew nation years earlier and had taken them away into exile. Why would they fail to take Jerusalem and enslave them like they had done further north? To sum this up, both records agree about the names of the kings. That tribute was paid from the Hebrews to the Assyrians, and both agree that Sennacherib laid siege to Jerusalem. And while Sennacherib's records do not record his failure to capture Jerusalem as the Bible says, it omits any mention of his success. Sennacherib did not defeat Jerusalem nor capture its king. In considering the Bible, if we have a cross-reference of two ancient rulers from different sources, it shows that the Bible cannot simply be dismissed as a work of fiction. The conclusion should be that the Bible records real history. But since we are on the topic of this Hebrew king Hezekiah, what other independent facts about him can we verify? Let me put this in a more modern context. In 1804, a group of men began a journey across more than half of the North American continent. They were called the Corps of Discovery, but they are more familiar to us by the names of their leaders, the Lewis and Clark Expedition. 7,000 miles later, they returned with stories of native tribes, unknown plants, wild animals, huge mountains, immense rivers, and lots of mosquitoes. How could we have confidence that they really did travel such a long way? The only physical evidence of the expedition along the route is a small inscription carved in a rock in Montana that reads, W. Clark, July 25, 1806. The account written during the expedition mentions that they stopped at a place they called Pompey's Tower. The date, location, and description of this rock formation and the Native American art seen there fit perfectly with the physical place in Montana. There is no way to move the giant rock, fake the giant rock, and the name carved in the rock has lasted the 200 years since. This is a different situation than other, quote, historic sites that you may have seen. Every year, tourists flock to the historic Jamestown settlement in Virginia. But in truth, it is a reproduction meant to show people what they think it looked like, how people dressed, what they ate, and jobs they performed. It is a simulation, a fake. It is a good teaching tool to illustrate colonial life, but there is still something dishonest about it. Another example is that for many years, the running joke in New England was almost every old hotel had a sign that said, Washington slept here, to draw tourists in, even if there was no record or proof that Washington ever visited. This is not the confidence in the record we're looking for. So let's pretend that the location of Pompey's Tower had been forgotten or lost to history. A person reading the account of the Lewis and Clark expedition might become curious about it and set off in search of the place. Using the record, they could backtrack the journey and find the rock, 
the ancient petroglyphs and the inscription carved in the stone directly linking that place to the story of Lewis and Clark. So reading the account would lead someone to expect to find Pompey's tower, and they can. In the Bible account of the Hebrew king Hezekiah, there is a mention that he ordered a tunnel dug. The hand-carved tunnel was intended to connect the water source called the Gihon Spring to the city of Jerusalem. In times of war, the tunnel could channel water from the spring, and the spring itself could be concealed from the enemy trying to attack the city. This is the description given in the Bible. Today, the location of the Gihon Spring is known. Connecting the spring to Jerusalem is a man-made tunnel, showing evidence that it was carved out by hand, and it still brings water into the city. A natural spring cannot be faked. Such a massive construction project cannot be faked or moved. If we read the Bible record of Hezekiah, we would have expected to find a tunnel, and it is there. It is Hezekiah's signature carved in stone. Many things in the reign of Hezekiah have no secular history or physical analog, but many things do. And Hezekiah and Sennacherib were real people and real kings that ruled real nations, that lived in real places and did real things. They are one landmark on our journey to God through the Bible and can help build our confidence that we are on the right path. Can we do this with other stories or claims from the Bible? We can, and thus have confidence in the Bible itself. Follow along on further podcasts as we explore other small truths so that you might have the confidence to consider the bigger truths. Each truth we find will be a signpost along the way. We can learn to have confidence in the Bible record, not just the histories, but the great message of the Bible, the presentation of who God is. When we know where to look, the landmarks of the Bible story still stand tall have never fallen, and still mark our way home. Thank you for listening to this episode of By the Still Water. It is our desire that these messages reflect the true Word of God. If you would like to reach us, you can reach us by email at bythestillwater2024 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at By the Still Water Podcast. Please consider subscribing. This will alert you to new episodes when they are made available. Again, thank you for listening.